Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Now on to um, tonight's uh, first guest, and it's great to have her back on the show. Um, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, as you know, finally has government backing. What that means is the government has now committed to devising a question around the voice to parliament and taking that question to a referendum during its first term in office. But uh, fascinatingly, our next guest has posed a very interesting question, and that question is simply, why wait in an article in The Conversation, Dr Emily argues that the voice could be implemented in the next few months, seeing as the government has a majority in the lower house and a chance of safe passage through the Senate. Now, we've had Dr Emily on the show before. She is from the Timbrakana country in northeast Tasmania. She's a research fellow at, the, at Swinburne University. She has a list of awards, as long as your arm, and um, as long as your arms are, are long, she... Um, is also esteemed Aboriginal academic from Tasmania, uh, where she's informed and lived experience on the need for teaching true history in this country. And as we all know, the Uluru Statement from the Heart is an extension of that. So I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show uh, Dr Emma Lee. Emma, welcome back to the mission. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. We can hash this out. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, and let's start at the very start. Tell us about... Your idea. Well, I just, I just don't want our people to have to wait. I don't want us to have to think about that our chance of having our advice to Parliament and government depends on a referendum, because the the chances of a referendum passing are, are really slim. And is it fair to us? What what happens? What happens to the concept of Indigenous voice if it doesn't pass a referendum? <laughs> I think these are important questions that we think about uh, beyond the thought that that everyone might be speaking about wanting an Indigenous voice, but when it comes time to actually voting, so many people may think, well, I'm not quite sure what this is. And so, so I think that if we had an Indigenous voice to Parliament and Government now that was created through an Act of Parliament, we could then progress to that stage of a referendum and hopefully we'll get, you know, 99% of the vote. <laughs> so what you're, what you're basically proposing, Emma, is a kind of a, <laughs> for want of a, a, a more academic term, you're basically um, proposing a try-before-you-buy sort of scheme where people could see how a voice to Parliament enacted through legislation initially would work, and then when that came to um, devising a referendum or holding a referendum, given that, you know, on paper the, the voice to Parliament should work fine, that will result in a better turnout and um, hopefully a better result for, for the referendum. Oh, that's what I think. I mean, I, I actually sat on the, the National Co-Design Group to help put together what's called the final report on Indigenous voice to government parliament. And that was a federal government process that occurred across um, 2019 to 2021. 
that has its roots in, a, you know, it seems like a million other reports previous to that. But started out in 2010 about um, uh, Labor government putting together a joint committee to have a look at uh, constitutional rec- recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And so even having sat on this national co-design growth and putting forward the the models and processes of what Indigenous voice would look like, putting it out there to public. So early to mid-2021, that went out. Um, there was community consultations across Australia. There were public submissions of something like almost nine and a half thousand comments, submissions and contributions. Um, one of the, the broadest um, public consultation processes that I know of. Uh, and so we're here, we've got this beautiful report on how it could look like. And even having sat on that co-design, it's like, well, what does it actually look like in, pro- in, in real life? Because I know as an academic, writing something on paper is completely different from living in a real <laughs> life, right? Right. Yeah. And so what what I'm concerned about is that what looks good on paper, you know, it doesn't always translate easily into real life. And so it's not about saying that Indigenous voice is a bad idea. It's just about saying that there's going to be wrinkles and bumps and, and things that we didn't think of that need to be worked out. And And I believe that the Constitution deserves more. If this document is our founding document of who we are as Australians and now, you know, Indigenous included, I don't want this to be a little bit and a little bit of that. I want this to be a document where we say, you know what, I'm never going to think twice that perhaps those words that set up Indigenous voice, maybe they should have been tweaked a little bit. Because we know after doing and practising and enacting Indigenous voice, actually we can raise up the tone just a little bit. We can raise up the principle and the aspiration. And so what I'm concerned about is are we sure that those words that go into a constitution, if we have to definitely one at a referendum. Are we sure right here, right now, that they are the best words, given that we don't quite know what Indigenous voice looks like? I think the um, I, th- I think you make a number of good points, Emma, and I think one of the one of the one of the dangers with any referendum in this country, I think there's like only 44 that have ever really gotten up. Um, Oh, sorry, out of out of forty four, there's only been like eight that have actually been successful. Am I, am I right in quoting that? Did I say that somewhere? Yes, yes, yeah. pretty much the right figures, and and even yeah. ones that make sense, like the Republic. You know, yeah. I, I mean, oh, we love the Queen; she's all great, but you know, let's be a nation on our own. And yeah. what happened is that it fell over, not because people didn't want a republic, but because they weren't sure about the model of what it looked like. I think that's a really, really interesting point because we we all know that having uh, an Indigenous voice to Parliament enshrined in the Constitution is the right thing to do. I think most of us inherently know that. Most of us who aren't 
racists, which is the vast majority of us, know that that on paper is the right thing to do. But if you have a, you know, if potentially if you have a rare opportunity to see how it works in the flesh and how you can iron out any deficiencies in the model, whatever model that might be, then it's easier for people to actually not only conceptualise but actually see what they're what they're voting for. Now, I guess the one of the one of the criticisms that would have come back with this idea, um, Emma, would be that it would prolong the ultimate process of of getting it into the constitution via referendum in the in the first place. Have you have you thought about much? Have you thought much about um, that potential criticism? Oh, absolutely. I've had some beautiful public comments back to me uh, where people have generously and graciously written to me just saying, well, look, you know, legislation, this is what happened with the old APSIC Commission, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. Uh, You know, we've seen this where... Uh, you get created as an act and then it doesn't get enough money or it gets watered down. And, and, I, and I think, yes, absolutely, but if this is going to happen to Indigenous boys, then it's not ready to go into a referendum yet, is it? I mean, mm. do we honestly want that in a constitution if at a legislative stage we're saying it's not important? Are we honestly saying that the relationship between Indigenous and other peoples are so poor that it requires a referendum for our constitution to have. And, you know, Indigenous voice is nothing more than the obligation to consult. That's what government and parliament, obligation to consult to a body of Indigenous peoples. That's not saying that they have to act on that advice that they get when they have consulted. Um, it's, it's, so are we honestly saying that at this modest level, that if a government can't fund that and see it as an integral part of, you know, grassroots politics, then is it really ready to be part of our constitution? I mean, we say this word referendum, you know, as a vote, but what it is is actually being put into the foundational document of Australia. And so if that is not going to be respected at a legislative level, I I can't see how it's going to be respected at at a constitutional level. No, I think I mean, it's a. I think I think I think the point that you make, Emma, is 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 a good one, and and it was lost in a lot of the hyperbole that came out during the initial response to to the statement from the heart from people like Malcolm Turnbull and uh, Barnaby Joyce, and that is that what the what the statement is actually asking for is very very modest indeed. It's not by any way, means or shape or form, a third chamber of parliament. It's a voice in which Aboriginal people through representation can speak to the parliamentarians and parliamentarians can consult with the voice and take what the voice is saying into consideration when it develops policies and laws for this land. It's no no way a legislative body. It is no way a decision-making body. It is a body in which the parliament consults with First Nations 
people. And that and that's been lost. And I think one of the strands to to your argument about having a sort of a legislative legislative response to this um, first up as, a part, um, as opposed to a constitutional uh, response straight up is that you talk about democratic literacy and trust being low in Australia right now. What, what do you mean by that? Well, um, you know, I mean, I've got a PhD, you know, one of those academics. I feel like, you know, I'm not as smart as anyone else, but I'm fairly smart. And I have had to learn how Parliament absolutely works. What do we even, you know, when we talk about government and Parliament, do it? You know, I have to take a moment there to consider what I'm actually talking about because these are two different things. (laughs) And so we are not actually as ordinary Australians, black and white. We don't get the education of what our democratic system actually is. And so if you don't know, how can you trust it? How, how can we say, oh, look at the Indigenous voice enshrined in the foundational document that gives the right for Australian government and parliament to actually exist? And so I'm concerned about that. And I, I, I am not doubting the goodwill of Australian people who want this. But I am saying, is honestly, is this the only option that we have? Are we honestly asking Aboriginal people to wait until this is made as a as a principle? What, what's wrong with a bit of pragmatic action? What is wrong with Aboriginal people being part of policy environment that that a legislative act uh, is created? to do, to give us the policy to enable things like advice to happen, collect statistics and, de- you know, define their funding goes. And, and so what I think Indigenous voice could be is a place where we actually get to understand what this system of government and parliament actually is. So when you think about it, you know, parliament takes in um, I mean, they have the government of the day, but the parliament takes in the opposition party. Parliament takes in public service jobs. Parliament takes in the role of a governor general. And so an Indigenous voice, I believe, is important enough to be in a constitution, but we have to ask ourselves first about why this has been excluded and why is it such a modest proposal and why then does it require the highest level of Australian democracy to actually make this work? I don't think it should be because, you know what, there's a hell of a lot of pressure put back onto Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and all they're doing is just providing advice that may or may not be acted upon. I think that in the Constitution, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander could have a higher role than just providing advice. Surely, surely. <laughs> it is 26 past seven. Uh, you listen to the mission. My name is uh, Daniel. You're listening to a station called Triple R, 102.7 FM. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Emma Lee, who has written the paper in The Conversation, which was published uh, earlier this week 
or late last week. I can't remember. Everything's a blur at the moment. Um, but it's there if you want to read it, uh, in which she explores an idea of getting the voice to parliament up and happening sooner than is proposed through a constitutional uh, referendum. Um, you cite in that article, um, Emma, the idea of the First People's Assembly of Victoria as being somewhat of a precedent for uh, the approach that you're proposing. Yes, the uh, Victoria's uh, Aboriginal Assembly was created through an Act of Parliament. You know, I mean, there's issues there where they didn't quite get things right because they weren't quite sure about it, you know, in that translation from concept to practice. Um, This isn't a bad thing. This is just an ordinary process thing. But they've been able to make that work to the point that there's a bill... Uh, being debated in Parliament at the moment that will give the right for a treaty authority to act in um, uh, working out the the actual agreement process of treaties. Now, that's not within the Victorian state constitution that that happens. This is about working together in the parliamentary system that's already there, not elevating Aboriginal people to rarefied status, but just saying, you know, we're the same as everyone else and having a right to par- uh, parliament and government to create these acts that get our voice across. So basically you're, you're proposing that we, we, we trial it through legislation and we use that period to iron out any deficiencies that may pop up that we've not foreseen, but also to strengthen any potential model that we take to to a referendum to, to basically even provide even a, even a stronger model to, you know, include in the Constitution. Uh, have I got that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I use this example. I'm not going to buy a car that I haven't given it a test drive. (laughs) And I don't expect good Australians to to say, yes, I'm for this, but, you know, I just, you know, forgive me, but I just want to see how it works. (laughs) You know, that's not saying we're against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's just saying, show me how this works so that I can wholeheartedly support exactly what you're doing and hopefully, you know, other Australians might also get a sense of aspiration about what government and parliament can do for them too. Well, it's a fascinating idea. Before I let you go, have you you had any conversations with the likes of uh, Megan Davis or Thomas Mayer or some of the other uh, proponents of the Uluru Statement from the Heart? Have have, have they given you their opinion on, on, on your idea? (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, they're exceptionally busy people. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have no problem with with what they are progressing for. I just know that I, I, I live in a community that I want Aboriginal and other Tasmanians that live in you know, Tasmania, I want, I want all of us to know exactly what we're getting here. And so, you know, I'm just grateful that I've been able to raise this up with you. Thank you, dear brother. No, no, no sweat whatsoever. What we get in you every time you come on the show, Emma, is someone who is considered and considerate and always coming from the right place to advance the cause of our people. So I thank you once again for coming on the show. Um, if you want to read the article, it adds to the conversation. It, it, it makes you think a little bit. Just go to the conversation and uh, look up uh, Dr Emma Lee, 
or the title of the article is First Nations People Shouldn't Have to Wait for a Referendum to Get a Voice to Parliament. Um, Emma, thank you for coming on the show. Um, stay warm and uh, we'll speak to you down the road. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Uh, you're listening to The Mission. Uh, 102.73 Triple R FM, or maybe you're listening through the National Indigenous Radio Service, uh, or maybe you're listening to us via the podcast, which you can find in any one of your favourite podcasts. You're all welcome. You're all listening. If you're in the future, say hello. Let us know what it's like. Um, thank you again for uh, Dr. Emily coming on and talking about uh, a, a different proposal in terms of getting the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the Voice to Parliament up and happening. Um, phone number ending 648 uh, texted in and said, totally agree. What a brilliant woman. She makes so much sense. Hope the government listens to her. Thanks for the show. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening. And if you've got a message that you want to send through this evening, uh, hit us up via the text 0466981027. Now, I just wanted to say a word about uh, this coming Sunday, which is, of course, the Community Cup. And there's a lot of love in the air around the Community Cup coming back after a, a hiatus after the pandemic, which is totally over now, thankfully. I'm glad that's in the rearview mirror. There's nothing more to worry about on that front. Very pleasing to see. Um, I just want to lend my support to uh, the megahertz and also lend my prediction to what will actually happen on Sunday. I predict that the megahertz will actually crush the rock dogs like they've never been crushed before. I, I'm hearing good things from uh, training. I'm hearing good things about the attitude of several team members. And so um, if you want to get down... The, go to the website, Google it up. I think the tickets are about 25 bucks. Uh, there's sometimes between 15 and 25,000 people that turn up, and then there's a um, a little get together at the Gasso afterwards. So it should be a fun community day for one and all. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Well, thank you for that, handsome. Uh, that brings us to another end of uh, the mission. Um, thank you so much for Dr. Emily, who came along this evening and spoke to us about a really interesting idea around speed, I guess, speedily putting forward uh, a legislative model towards the um, Uluru Statement from the Heart and a voice to Parliament. But until uh, next week, um, stay safe, stay strong, and I'll say it again, stay warm and stay listening. Ta-da. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.